You know, I've thought this week, if we were to sum up the legacy of Kingsland in one word, I wonder what that word would be. And some of you right away would say, well, it's Jesus. And I pray that that's true. But what is the unique way that God has called Kingsland to express the love of Jesus Christ, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world? And maybe one of you would stand up and say, well, it's family. Family has to be that word. But we'd have to ask the question, why is family so important at Kingsland? Why do we talk so much about the home? Or maybe you'd stand up, somebody else would say, well, it's missions. It has to be missions. We, we have mission partners all around the world, and we've had the privilege of going to every corner of the earth and sharing the love of Christ, and that's true, and, 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 and meeting needs of those who are hurting, who feel forgotten and alone. And, and yes, that's true, but we have to ask the question, why is mission so important? Why is it? And, and it comes down, I think, to one word that could probably summarize the legacy that we walk in today at Kingsland, and that word is love. Love, not as the world knows, but as the Lord has shown it to us. Isn't that the essence of the gospel? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And it's no surprise then that that's the word that probably the world has most um, uh, messed with and confused than any other. We have a really odd understanding of love in our culture, don't we? Well, I want us to look at what God has to say about love today. We're beginning a brand new series, incidentally. We're in the book of Luke, and we're looking at the parables of Jesus in Luke. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 right now. If this is not the most famous parable of Jesus, it has to be in the top three. We're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as you're turning there, let me remind you of something we talked about when you first walked in today. This Wednesday evening, we have our Restore Prayer night, some who have been around Kings in a while know that several times a year we'll pause on Wednesday nights and just have a time of prayer and praise. It's usually a wonderful time. And it's a perfect opportunity as we celebrate our 45th anniversary together. We look back at what God has done and we seek his face, recognizing that nothing of significance is going to happen at Kingsland or anywhere else apart from prayer. Incidentally, you know that this is the 45th anniversary of the church today. It's also the fifth anniversary of our North Katy campus. How cool is that? So five years ago today, right in the midst of Hurricane Harvey, if you remember, God launched our second campus and we are so grateful. So happy anniversary and happy anniversary uh, today. Well, uh, this is a powerful parable, I think, because it has so much to say about love. It, it, It shows how we should show love to others but it also demonstrates how God has shown love to us. So to give some context, let's start back in verse 25. Verse 25, and uh, we'll set the tone with the first few verses. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He, Jesus, asked him, How do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So you see what's going on here? This guy really thinks he's something. I mean, he is a teacher of the law. Don't get this confused. Sometimes your translations say lawyer and you think of a modern day lawyer. This is someone who teaches the law of God. So this is a learned person in in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Torah. And and he's coming to, to Jesus, but he doesn't have a legitimate question. We know that because it says he was seeking to test him. He came with a trick question. 
If you read through the Gospels, you'll find most often if Jesus is asked a legitimate question, he'll give a legitimate answer. But when he's asked a trick question, usually he answers with a question. It's a really good strategy, incidentally. When somebody wants to have a conversation, you come across somebody and they, they don't really believe this and they're skeptical about the things of God or what have you. If you'll come back with a question, you find how quickly the scaffolding on which they built their belief system starts to crumble. Just ask a question. So Jesus answers the question with a question and he says, well, what does the law say? And so this guy tells him the law and what he should have said once he shared the law, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When he, when he cited that, what he should have recognized is, wait a second, I haven't done that. I mean, love the Lord with everything that I have and I am and love my neighbors, myself. I've fallen short of that. So maybe what he should have said to Jesus is, okay, then what can I do to inherit eternal life if I didn't solve that problem? But that's not what he does at all, does he? Instead, he comes back with a clarifying, rather arrogant question. He's saying, okay, Jesus, all right, you say this is true. Um, so exactly who is my neighbor? Like, how does that play out? And then he starts to talk about something Jesus does that's really important. Because the entire point of what this man is saying is he's thinking, well, I've kept the law. And Jesus is saying, no, you haven't kept the law. In fact, no one can keep the law. Come to think of it, the book of Romans outlines very clearly that the law is not intended to bring us to a place where we can save ourselves through the law. The law intends us to show, intends to show us that we have a need for a savior, that we cannot do this on our own. So before we pick on this guy for the rest of the morning, all right, I believe his sentiment is probably the most obvious or most common lie about salvation, that you can work really hard. That if you get enough positive things on that side of the ledger, then you can earn your way to heaven. And he's saying, I've done all this. Is that, what, is that enough to inherit eternal life? And the answer is abundantly, resoundingly, no. There's probably people in this room watching through Kingsland Online. And you have bought into the idea that if you just work kind of hard when you get to heaven, you say, let me give you my resume. And God's going to say, well, by all means, come on in. And that's not the way it works. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. The only way is love. That's why that's the greatest commandment, right? And when he asks that question, who is my neighbor, Jesus proceeds to tell him about real love. He answers the teacher's clarifying question with a parable. And here we are. Look at verse 30 with me. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil, olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the obvious answer should have been the Samaritan. But this guy couldn't even bring himself to say the word. So look how he answers. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. 
There's three categories of people in this parable. The cruel, that's the robbers. You have the indifferent, that's the priest, and the Levite, and the one who loved, who happened to be a Samaritan, who is the most despised group of people, Samaritans, among the Israelites, those who lived there. In fact, you recall in John chapter 4, Jesus said uh, he needed to go through Samaria because the, the father was calling there to meet the Samaritan woman and how that was so unusual because they normally take a half day's journey out of the way so they didn't have to even encounter these people. And here the Samaritan is the hero of the story because the Samaritan loved. Jesus is giving us an important lesson and one to this prideful teacher about what love should look like. Do you see? He's also demonstrating that this is the example of love. We know that because he says, go and do the same. So when we see this, we ask the question, what kind of love did the Samaritan show? Because this is the love that God calls us to demonstrate, and this is also the love with a deeper meaning for everyone that we'll see, okay? I want to share with you Three attributes of love, godly love, extraordinary love, that's far different than the brand of love that's often given to people in our world today. Here's the first attribute I want you to see. God's love is a compassionate love. Back in verse 33, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. That word translated compassion means deeply moved. In fact, it's, if you read it in the original language, you think, wow, that's, that's a pretty harsh word because it actually means moved in the intestines. I mean, think about that. Like, you're so invested in somebody else's pain that it moves you in that way, that you're uncomfortable here, right? That is compassion. That's something beyond kindness. Many of you, like us, have been watching the news and you're moved with compassion over what has taken place with the hurricanes both in, in Puerto Rico and through the islands, uh, and, then, and then recently in, in Florida, what we've seen take place is just heart-wrenching, right? And, and so we, now it's kind of encompassed the southeast United States, and when you look especially at, at Florida, you see a mess, right? And, and some of you have asked, okay, what are we going to do on behalf of those in Florida? You know that's what Kingsland does best. That, that, I love that about our disaster relief teams and everybody else. But what we have learned through such disasters is the most important thing to do is not run to the battle, but wait on our marching orders to really understand what they need and not just what's going to make us feel better. Like so many others, we go back to... Hurricane Harvey, right? And we watched so many similar things happen in our own community. And a lot of well-meaning people came running here or driving here and brought supplies. And nobody was really ready for those or they weren't exactly what we needed. Uh, and so there was kindness, but not necessarily compassion. I remember us getting a call at the church and somebody said, hey, we're on our way to Katy and we have a, a, a large truckload of action figures that we would like to distribute, can we bring them to the church? And we said, no, we, we can't imagine. Like going up to a home, the people are so devastated and saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, but here is a Luke Skywalker and a stormtrooper and a Darth Vader. 
and God bless you. It doesn't make any sense. They meant well, but you see, they hadn't entered into the pain of what was taking place. And so we want to make sure that we, we have compassion and not just kindness. Incidentally, just one more thing I'll say about the Florida storms. As that, that comes up, we know that we'll be sending teams into Florida. If you'd like to be a part of that, there's a kiosk, some information right outside in the lobby, and you can pick up one of those brochures or contact us. We'd love to have you on one of those teams if you're able. All of us will be able to participate in some way, but some will be going, and I hope you'll do that. Why? Because God has called us to uh, love through compassion. Somehow, this Samaritan identified with the need of this stranger, and he entered into his pain. And this compassion led to mercy. There was no logical reason for him to do this to somebody he'd perceive as an enemy, but none of that mattered because he entered into his pain. He had compassion on him. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38. Jesus is going into the towns and villages in his area, and these are people he knew that were going to absolutely reject him and, and take him to, to the cross And yet look at what it says, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Do you see? There is a compassion that extended beyond their faults even. He was moved because he saw the need that they have. In every year of Kingsland's history, Every story I've heard, I know this, Kingsland has always been at her best when she's moving in the direction of people who are hurting, who are suffering, even if they're suffering because of some of their own decisions. We are most like Jesus when we love like him and we enter into the needs with a compassionate love. Godly love is first a compassionate love. I want you to see something else. Godly love is a costly love. Love. It's a costly love. It's easy to read this without any context and kind of get a picture of uh, West Houston, suburbia, or Katy, and, and you have somebody who has been beaten and they're on the sidewalk and others are walking down the street and they just kind of cross the street and walk by. And so that's, that's not the setting that you have here. And you don't have to guess the setting that Jesus has in mind because he sells, tells you exactly where it is. He says this man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho and everybody who was re- or hearing him say that around them knew exactly where that was. In fact, you can go to Israel today in the Holy Land, and you can see this place. I have stood on a hillside overlooking this road, and some of you have stood there with me. And when you stand there, you recognize something about this. This is a really dangerous road. You see, not only is it a rocky place in the wilderness that makes it scary enough, but it has a major elevation change. You see, Jerusalem is found at over 3,000, or 2,400 feet above sea level, rather. And Jericho is right near the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. It is over 800 feet below sea level. So in just a 17-mile journey, there is a 3,000-foot drop. So you can imagine uh, what you have there, all the the nooks and crannies and crooks and all these sorts of things. It's a dangerous place. It's a place for thieves to hide and descend and attack and all these things. Incidentally, if you go to Israel today, many believe that that same road that you can see from Jerusalem to Jericho was also that which David referred to in the 23rd Psalm as the valley of the shadow of death. And you can see why. We know that as recently as 1920, it was referred to as the bloody way because it was so dangerous even then in more modern times. You see? 
And so when they heard this, the listeners would have said, oh, that's a really dangerous place to be. And so now you understand this priest and this Levite, yes, they should have been the ones to take care of this person. They should have been the ones to come along. But you need to understand the risk involved at doing so. Because as they came upon this person, not only did they know if they crossed the road and they entered into the pain, that the robbers might still be there, but the, they knew that there was, it was a high crime area anyway. If they stopped, the same thing could happen to them. And so when this Samaritan stopped, you need to understand that it was a great risk to himself. He was taking a risk in his love. There's always a cost to love. Think about another part of our story here at Kingsland. Uh, about, I guess, six, seven years ago now, we purchased an office building, a strip center across the street from this building, the central campus, and, uh, and we had intended to make that an extra annex for offices that we really needed uh, with our staff and our growth. And, and so we, we were preparing for that, and then Hurricane Harvey hit, and we ended up housing a number of ministries that needed a place during that difficult time, and we watched how they met the needs uh, that were so desperate in our community of those who are hurting or, or who had kind of been cast aside or needed help, uh, had, had not been heard. And, and so as we prayed through that, we thought that's, that's the calling of that building and it became the Kingsland Community Center and it's there today. But I want you to know it wasn't an easy thing when our church gathered, I guess, four and a half years ago now and we voted to set that aside for that purpose because that was about a $1.2 million investment, essentially an offering to that. There was a cost involved, but it has an eternal reward, you see, because that is scriptural love. That's what God called us to do. And the same is true for each of us. God is going to call us to unique risks and costs. You see, not only was this a sacrifice because of the risk involved, this Samaritan invested his life and his resources at a pretty high cost. If you look down the list here, you realize the cost. For a complete stranger, this Samaritan... Incidentally, if they're cast-offs, they're, they're really notoriously poor anyway, right? He went above and beyond in taking care of this man. Just look down here. Verse 34, the beginning, he provided supplies, bandages, oil, wine. He likely had brought just enough for his journey with little extra, and he sacrificed that. He sacrificed his own comfort. We see at the end of verse 34 where he gave his own animal. He put the injured man on this animal. It says, then he put him on his own animal, animal brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Think about what has just taken place, the exchange. When the Samaritan began, he was riding, and that broken man was walking. Now, when he showed love, he's walking, and the broken man is riding. He sacrificed with his own finances. If you look down at verse 35, he paid two denarii for room and board for this man in the inn. Some have uh, thought maybe that was two weeks' worth of, of wages or, or room and board. Uh, others have thought maybe that's two months. We don't really know. We know that it was a great price for this man probably, and we know that the point is he paid the innkeeper a considerable amount in order to care for his needs, and even more, he said, I will be back, and if there are greater needs than what I paid, I'll repay you that amount. It's a great cost involved. It was a costly love. When God calls us to love like Jesus, he calls us to a costly love. He calls us to a, a, a a compassionate love, a costly love. And third, I want you to see God calls us to an undeserving love. 
Now, I feel terrible about this because I feel like I'd have, I have to turn in my preacher card. I mean, I have two C's and then a U. Are you kidding me? Like, over the end of the week, I thought, what's another C that I can use for undeserving? And I couldn't, I looked at the thesaurus. I couldn't find the word. So, man, I decided the most important priority is clarity of, of the, from the word here and not cuteness. So here's what you get. It's undeserving love. That's what it is. Isn't this the heart of this this entire passage, isn't this the most obvious point that Jesus wants to make? You see, the hearers would recognize Samaritans as their worst enemy and the most unlikely hero of the story. It must have blown the minds of the Jews who were listening to Jesus. The hero was a Samaritan. It wasn't a Jew uh, rescuing a Samaritan. Even worse, it was a Samaritan rescuing a Jew who had been despised and forsaken by his fellow Jews. The Samaritan loved his enemy, risked his own life, spent his own money. They're probably waiting for the story to end something like this. Well, this man is beaten and half dead on the side of the road. Along comes a priest and he passes by on the other side. Uh, along comes a Levite who's not quite a priest but involved in the ritual system. He passes on the other side of the road. They know the law. They know the rituals, all these things. They're not going near him. Along comes a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan picked his pockets and, and then he went down the road. That's what they're waiting to hear. And then along comes this teacher of the law, just like this fine man, and he took care of the needs. That's not what happened, right? It's the Samaritan who ends up being a hero of the story. That's the heart of godly love, isn't it? It reaches across boundaries. And I have to tell you, I've asked myself several times this week, getting ready for this lesson, when was the last time, Ryan, that you showed extraordinary love? I mean, outside of your comfort zone, to somebody who was completely undeserving of that love. Because I do know in my heart that those are the times I'm most like Jesus, and I think that's true for each of us. I think our greatest weapon as a church is a Christ-like love. Listen, I read the same studies that you do in the surveys of our nation and uh, the religious uh, and spiritual beliefs of the nation. And I see that the, the people who check none is growing. That's the people who say, I'm, I'm not a part of any faith. I don't have any belief system. But the reality is that may be true. There is no shortage in our day of people who are hurting, suffering, alone, in need, in pain. And when I can see with Jesus' eyes, and when I can love somebody who thinks he or she is undeserving, do you see? I win the right to have an audience to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ every single time. It's our greatest weapon. Are you honestly willing to take a look around you and consider how you might be a loving neighbor to someone who around you who has no logical right to that love? But even more, the deeper meaning of this entire parable is demonstrating that this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Do you see? Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to a prideful teacher of the law who says, okay, I can be fully justified. Jesus says, no, what's the greatest commandment? It is love. Okay, now he says, he says, well, I got this down. All right, what else? And, and so he says, who's my neighbor? And now Jesus really gets under his skin because he, he helps him understand, you can't be that person. You've already failed. Your only hope, you're right, your only hope is love, but there's only one who has fulfilled that commandment. You see, 
He missed the point. The man missed the point because he'd failed the test. So Jesus wrote himself into the story. It's an entirely different way to read this parable. If you're like me, most of our lives we've read the parable and we've seen ourselves as the good Samaritan, right? Oh, yeah, that's who I want to be. And I remember times I've been like that. You're not the Samaritan in the story. Mm -mm. Instead of imagining yourself as the good Samaritan, what if you're the man going down the road to Jericho? You're going from Jerusalem, the city of God, downward to Jericho and away from God. You are defeated and beaten and nearly destroyed on that journey. The priest and the Levite, what do they represent? Ritual, law, behavior. They have failed to save you. And what if when you were lost, a man who was despised and rejected came along for you? One who owes you nothing. You see, the Samaritan clearly represented Jesus. And he paid the price for you. In fact, he traded places with you, and he promised to return for you. That kind of love is what gives us the opportunity to be saved, you see? It's the kind of love that, as we imitate Jesus, causes us to care about others in a different way. See, I wonder whether somebody came to Kingsland today, maybe you've come many years previous, you've been here a lot, but you know in your heart of hearts that you bought the same lie that this teacher of the law did. Well, it's about behavior. I mean, if I can just earn a little bit more, if I can be a little bit better, if I can care, if I can check the boxes, I'll just share that as my pass into heaven. And that's not the way it works. No. The answer is only found in Jesus. But the good news is that grace that Jesus showed is available to everyone within the sound of my voice. And wouldn't it be something on this 45th anniversary of Kingsland, somebody came to worship today, or you're watching at Kingsland online, and you're just honest with yourself. Maybe you fooled everybody else. Maybe you're a member of this church, but you know in your heart of hearts, you've been trusting in yourself. And today God is leading you to recognize, I can't do this on my own. I forsake my own behavior, my goodness. I know it's as filthy rags before the Lord and his righteousness. And instead, I know that Jesus died for me, that he was buried for me, that he rose from the dead for me. And I place my faith in him and not my good works. And do you know that the scripture tells us that everything changes when you place your faith in him? That you can be saved, which means forgiven for sure forever. In the moment where you do that, everything changes. And that's available to everybody here. I also note that there's probably some in the room and you've trusted Jesus, but maybe the Spirit of God is showing you today. Maybe he's laying somebody on your heart that you can show extraordinary godly love to when you leave here today. Would you be open to what he's calling you to do? Let's bow together. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll have an opportunity to respond to this message. Would you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you right now? If we want to be like Jesus, we must love well. We're only going to do that when we comprehend what Jesus has done for us. So God, thank you for this message from your word. And I pray especially for the man or woman who walked in here today and Lord, they know and you know that they've never trusted you. I pray that today is the day of new life and salvation. I pray they'd respond as you lead them to.
God, I pray for everyone here that you'd show us how to love like Jesus loved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.